Coming to you from the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains, Denver, Colorado, it's the Savage Cast, a Savage Worlds podcast brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Savages. Here are your hosts, Chris Savage Mummy Fox and Christopher Savage Bull Landauer. Welcome to episode 10 of the Savage Cast. Talk nerdy to me. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Savage Mommy Fox. And I'm your other host, Christopher Savage Bull Landauer. So we asked you guys to reach out and send us some emails, and you guys responded. Yay, we appreciate this. Yes. So now we're actually going to do the job and answer your email question. Yeah, so we, we have people send uh, email in through Savage or Uproar at SavageCast.com. We had um, 1G Plus question, so you can get us questions there. Go out to Facebook, put put your questions up on our Facebook page. But, uh, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty excited that we've got some uh, people sending us some stuff and some uh, things to talk about. So without further ado, we're going to talk nerdy and do an all-email episode. So our first uh, email comes from the Scurvy Bilge Rat. Arr. So SBR asks, so you be starting up a new podcast, do ye? Think ye can sail in these waters and many have perished before ye? Yeah, we can. Uh, answer that. I'm glad you. I'm glad you read that. <laughs> that part. So he says, seriously, you guys are doing a great job. I'm really enjoying your podcast a lot. But to my question. What resources would you suggest for someone wanting to run a pirate game? I'm not really interested in having a bunch of magic, as I'm leaning more towards a game with a historical feel to it, something along the lines of Black Sails. Additionally, are there any setting rules, edges, or hindrances that you would suggest to be included or excluded? Thanks, and keep up the great show, Scurvy Bill Drat. So the first thing I would say is go out and watch Black Sails if you haven't. Black Sails is a great show. It's on Stars. So it is a pay channel, unfortunately, but it's well worth watching. Um, I've watched all three seasons. I actually have two episodes left of season three yet to watch. And it's really that pirate feel of, of no magic and just straight. This is what it was like in the 1600s, sailing pirate ships around the Caribbean, obviously hits it out of the park. So that's the first thing I would say is if you have a chance, go uh, to... Uh, Apple and buy the seasons. You can you can buy the seasons on iTunes. Um, I don't know how much they are. Probably I would guess twenty five, maybe twenty to twenty five dollars for the season. But it's it's well worth it. Um, Savage Worlds wise, there's a couple things that I would suggest. A while back, Green Ronin came out with a pirate setting called Freeport. Uh, it was a D twenty system when it first came out, and they put out a lot of material for it. And then uh, a few years ago, it's probably been five or more, they put out a Savage Pirates of Freeport. Now, that might have a little bit of the magic in it. I don't remember. I have the old Freeport. I never ended up buying uh, Savage Freeport. So I don't know how much magic is in it, but my guess would be, like anything else, it's going to be easily stripped out. Yeah, it's a lot easier to strip stuff out than out of there. Mine it for ideas is what I would say. Take it, mine it for ideas. The other one is, obviously... Pirates of the Spanish Main. If you want non-magical stuff, again, strip out any of the magic that they have in there and just use Pirates of the Spanish Main. It's still out there. Um, it's not supported anymore. Pinnacle doesn't support it, but you can still get the core book from their site. 
And then, of course, there is 50 Fathoms, but that's heavily magical. Yes. Uh, yeah. There is some cool stuff in there you can strip out, like the if you wanted to play the trading economy aspect, um, it would not be too hard to reskin um, some of the, the real world cities as the ports that are listed in 50 Fathoms. So you can you can see what items are for sale and what their prices are at different ports and kind of easily just, you know, pull that out and reskin it, rename them to different ports uh, in the Spanish main. Uh, yeah, that's a really great idea because and, you're not recreating the wheel that way. Yeah, you just, you know, just rename the cities and... Um, you know, I don't think your your character your players are going to mind too much if it's not perfectly historical on what the price of cotton was going for in uh, Port-au-Prince versus Three Islands Away. I mean, that's right. not, the Fifty Fathoms has is they looked at the economy, they you know separated some of the cities out, and if your players like that, by all means, that's a, a really easy thing to, to pull from there. And also just you know all the other supplements like the people who are putting out maps. Or ship maps, stuff like that. You can you can grab those, and you know you don't need you know the, the magic stuff won't you know hinder you using those resources. So. Yeah, go check out uh, RPG now. I know there's a bunch of pirate ships that they have on there that you can grab and just print out, and you'll have a map. There's a great Seventh Sanctum has a great pirate ship name generator. So if you're looking to generate pirate names, you know go into Seventh Sanctum, download a hundred of them, put them into a Word doc. And then just check mark them off as you use them. There is something else in the works for pirates that Chris and I can't talk a lot about, but I would say sometime next year, look for something coming out through Fabled Environments that will hopefully meet your need exactly. Beyond that, if you're just, if you want to play this sooner, some of the things you asked about, you know, edges, hindrances, setting rules and stuff, I think a pirate game, obviously you want to strip out all of the um, ABs, the arcane background. Right, especially if you're, because, and the reason we say that is because his whole point was he doesn't really want magic. So just, if you don't want any magic at all, they're gone. Yeah, so you know, toss out uh, all the edges, stuff like Champion, Gadgeteer, or I guess there's not an arcane background, but um, like Mentalist, um, the Holy Warrior, those things are just, you know, those wouldn't be in play. I thought Gadgeteer seems a little bit too modern for a flavor for a pirate game. That'd be one you might want to consider um, dumping. You could still keep MacGyver, um, you, know, the, you know, Jimmy Rig stuff, but uh, Gadgeteer kind of seemed a little bit out of flavor. But things that do seem in flavor from Savage Worlds, Gritty Damage, yeah, we're talking um, if we go setting rules. Yeah. So we're we're looking at, at looking at what setting rules do we want to add to it. So that's a biggie. I guess gritty damage though, you really have to look at how how deadly do you want things. And uh it was pretty deadly on a pirate ship, you know, when you got into the, those battles when the boarding actions took place, you know, uh, watching black sails, it's a, a lot of dead folks after a boarding action. You know, blood and guts, definitely a good setting rule. Yeah, and that one is basically you can spend a Benny to reroll damage. Um, kind of, I think if you're doing gritty damage, it kind of can go hand in hand. Um, again, it's going to make it a, lot, a little more deadly. You, th those pirates, you know, you want that swashbuckling, that that arrow flynn pirate action. I think rerolling damage is not a bad thing. Yeah, oh, I agree. The pirates are kind of like live fast, die young, and so yeah, killing characters I think would be a little more common in, in this kind of game than in another game, uh, other settings. Um, Here's a random aside, not really random, but I looked up swashbuckling, and I'm like, what is swashbuckling come from? The the etymology of the term, where does it come from? And one of the definitions said it was only the good. It was like, it was good, yo. And I was like, wait a minute, pirates aren't necessarily good. Pirates are pretty morally ambiguous, if not outright chaotic, evil kind of characters. Um, and you still kind of call them swashbuckling. Yeah, running a 50 Fathoms game, I know all about that. 
Yeah. You know, if you want you if you think your you you think your your group is going to be the heroic folks, I was hoping for that in my game and that basically got shot out of the water in session <laughs> one. That I was like, okay, so we're gonna go a different direction on this. They're very ambiguous. Yeah. Sometimes they're gonna look like they're doing things for the benefit of others, but most of the time, as pirates are, they were out for themselves. Yeah, that's true, and that's fun, and uh, you know, I like to play those games. The interesting thing is that I had always figured that the you know, swashbuckling was kind of like sashes and buckles, kind of from like the whole costume, you know? Actually, no, the buckle is from a buckler. When people would fight with a sword in one hand and a small shield in the other, they call the, the small shield as a buckler. So swashbuckling comes from the uh, kind of the fencing style with sword and small shield. So that's where the, the buckle and swashbuckle Okay, comes and see, from. I would have thought kind of, the sword fighting, but I would have thought it would have, you know, been including, you know, the, the, like a rope monkey going up through the rigging and swinging on chandeliers and all that kind of stuff. But I guess historically it makes sense. Yeah. So that's kind of where the term comes from. So the other, uh, another setting rule that I looked up that I thought obviously would fit something like this very, very well is high adventure. And what's that? And what high adventure says is you can spend a Benny for a one time use of a combat edge, but you have to meet the rank and the edge requirements. So it's not, I get to pick any combat edge, but if you're kind of, if you know that you're using high adventure, when you're creating your characters, you're having that session zero, you know, you can kind of look at, you know, I might want to use high adventure for this edge. So I'll go ahead and kind of be thinking in advance, how can I meet those requirements and how can I, I meet that, Really, the rank requirement's the biggest thing, but there's also, you know, a lot of edges have where you have to have a D8 agility, and you have to have, you know, the lesser version of it if you want the improved version, those types of things. So um, it would take a little bit of planning, but I think that it could be used very well and to good effect. Yeah, that's kind of fun. I almost like it as a... um... A lot of times you know what, after you get past novice and you're you're really kind of plotting out where you're taking your character, yeah, that's kind of a good way of like getting, being able to use that next edge you're going to buy on your next character advancement, but you know, you get to use it now. And that kind of fits even thematically just as far as like character arcs and growth goes. Like if you're, if you're on the leadership path, you do get command uh, and you, you spend the Benny to do a command and help your foes or help your allies. And then at your next advance, you could take command. Uh, and kind of, yeah, as a, I know other systems do this, Savage Rules doesn't, where you have to, like, in-character study before you get your new boon or edge or power. That, that's kind of cool. If you've already used it in uh, in battle or in the game um, with a Benny with high adventure, that's cool. I like it. It's kind of, yeah, it is interesting. Cool. And, you know, another thought I had, and, and people may go, oh, no, don't do that. You'd make it too powerful. But really, if you really wanted to, why not make high adventure even one step better by maybe you don't have to meet the edge requirements maybe you just have to meet the rank requirements yeah you know take that edge requirement out so you can't use uh, you know you can't use a a legendary edge at novice by spending a benny but you know maybe when you get to that legendary and you don't have the exact agility vigor whatever the the edge says you you should have Maybe toss that and just say you have to meet the rank requirement. I don't know. Just, you know, just a thought I had. I don't know if it would make it too powerful or not. But, you know, it's... Know. It's, like a, it's a one-time use kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, so and, because... and you're spending a Benny. So it's it's got a cost to it already. So it's already got a cost to it. It's a one-time thing. It's not like you're going to 
be spending a Benny every round to do it. There's other things you're going to want to spend Bennies on, but in the right condition and the right point in a game, it might be worth it to do that and not have to meet those requirements. Yeah, and especially because, you know, we've already thrown out all the arcane background stuff. Although I'm pretty sure you can't use it for arcane backgrounds, even in you know, settings where it has it, those are at character creation. But you know, it's, it's not like you're spending a Benny and getting 20 power points to go cast fireballs uh, down on something. You know, it's not... It's not broken as it is, so I think even right. adding a little bit more flexibility, you know, wouldn't wouldn't uh, wouldn't break it. So, and I think the last one that I would probably use is I would probably use Joker's Wild. We almost always use it. Yeah, I run more con games than home games, so yeah. And see, I even use I even use it in in my home games. The only system that I don't use it in is I don't use it in Deadlands. Because Deadlands, I just kind of sorry, getting a little off topic, uh, but because Deadlands is limited on the number of fate chips that you have to start the game, there's only like 30, 25, or 30 because you have a, uh, some of, of each color. And sometimes I've seen that I've had it, times where I'm running with six players and they all have like three or four of them. And so it dilutes what's in the bag. Yeah. So I don't use it for that. But I would, for a pirate game, I would definitely use that. So let's talk. We talked a little bit about edges. We talked a little bit about what kind of setting rules did we think. Hindrances. I looked through the hindrance list, and this is just core. I'm going straight core, out of deluxe. I really didn't see any hindrances that jumped out at me that I would say take them out of a pirate-type adventure. No, those guys are full of holes. I mean, yeah, they are, I mean they're, they're compromised human beings, so... I mean, just sitting here right now, just kind of, kind of still looking. I, I, you know, looking over the list. Um, again, I just don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, play them right when you take them. I'm looking at you, people who play mean hindrance. Doesn't mean you're a complete and total jerk to the entire party and trying to make things difficult for their party the entire time. K rant off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Being a pirate game, I think there's there's. Uh, you can interpret some of the edges and hindrances differently in the sense that um, like liquid vigor might be one you want to look at considering that given that a lot of times pirates are drinking some form of alcohol just for the fact they don't want to get, you know, poisoning from unalcoholed water. Do you want to allow that? Do you, you want to give everybody a hindrance or a, a penalty for being partially drunk all the time? Or since it's pretty much across the board for most pirates... You know, do you want to ignore that, or do you? you know, a liquid vigor might be something fun, or you might say no. You don't want to give that advantage to you know, your players. I, I like it personally. I think it'd be kind of one of those fun, yeah. You know, uh, or no, it's liquid courage. Liquid courage gives you a, a vigor die type bonus whenever you've consumed a certain amount of alcohol. And um, yeah, so you could you could give them that, and then you know make that uh, nightly vigor roll, and just give them maybe fatigue the next morning. Yeah. So that they they still get that bonus to the drinking using the liquid courage, but it also has a little bit of a drawback the next day. And if they make their vigor roll, then, you know, then there's no drawback to it. Well, and it puts you in an interesting position because you can, it's totally incentive before a big battle, to, you know, sip a little of the grog or the rum um, to give yourself a vigor die going into, you know, ship-to-ship combat or something like that. But, yeah, how, how far do you go? Do you, you know, um, if you've got the alcoholic hindrance or um, something like that, w would you go too far and become sloppy drunk and then you're you're missing your, your shots and, and uh, screwing up your fighting. and So I think it, it's an opportunity to allow kind of a setting flavor um, to come through. And then for the last thing I'd add for a pirate game is you might want to treat charisma differently. Uh, I think the situational charisma kind of comes into play where if pirates are dealing with anyone in the establishment, 
they're probably going to have the outsider hindrance in the sense that you know, you're going to get a minus because you are a scofflaw. Um, but among pirates, I think the I think charisma is a good metric to simulate um, your status within the crew, your status as a as a ship and a crew against other enemies and friends on the water. So I, I think you know using charisma bonuses based upon your esteem and your deeds in the community might be something interesting to yeah. do as far as negotiating and intimidation goes. Pirates of the Spanish Main has has that, and I can't remember what it's called. But it, it has a derived, not really, I don't know if it's a derived stat, but I, I you can get, maybe it's called Honor. I, I'm just, I, I'm blanking on exactly what it's called, but Pirates of the Spanish Main has something very similar to what, what you're talking about. Yeah, I think it's fun to look at. So. Yeah, yeah, look it up. So, uh, hopefully there, uh, Bill Drat, we answered, uh, gave you some ideas. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we've, uh, drowned that question in, in, in as much information as we possibly can at this point. So, uh, so let's move on. I'll go ahead and read this one. Uh, this is from, uh, Carlin, the Savage Stalker Kendrick. He's all over the place. He is. He's, he's on G plus. He's on Facebook. He's everywhere. So it says, hi guys. Uh, good crossover episodes. Really enjoyed every second and hope to see one with the Happy Jacks guys. Absolutely. Uh, he's mentioned in our crossover video with the Wild Die podcast, uh, which was a lot of fun. Uh, we've got a lot of good comments on that one. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to get with the Happy Jacks guys. I'm, uh, I do another, uh, show with Jib every Wednesday night. So, uh, I'll get with Jib. We've already got, I've already gotten with Stu, uh, to talk about it. So yeah, that's something we'll try to, we'll try to get, uh, in the works. But, yeah, uh, we should call that one like the get off my lawn crossover. <laughs> It's the cranky old man. Yeah, well, and they they they've got the they did kind of a get off my lawn thing with uh, fear the boot. Nice. Uh, there was a whole uh, get off my lawn, come mow my lawn, <laughs> come from California to St. Louis and cut my grass kind of thing a while back. Carlin's question: It says I recently GM my first con game, and I find my, myself thinking, "Wow, that would be a great con game," and fiercely scribbling notes for future games I want to run. While watching the new Voltron cartoon, I got pumped and thought maybe I could try running Savage Voltron at a con, but just couldn't figure out how to hack it or how the heck to do a fight with a great with a giant robot comprised of smaller robots the players were piloting. Do you have any suggestions uh, for how to achieve that giant robot fueled by teamwork feeling present in all the kaiju movies and cartoons? Thanks and keep it savage. All right. I do have one. I do have a great idea. Uh, and this will go into the show notes. The Savage Worlds GM Hangout guys, myself included, we put together an entire setting, a mini setting that was called Kaiju Super Fun Time Go. Nice. Uh, and that is exactly what we did. We, and we also ran a um, playtest of it on Roll20, which you can find on the YouTube channel for the Savage Worlds GM Hangout. Uh, it should be up there under actual plays. We spent a month putting this together. Uh, so four weeks worth of shows and we hashed it out. Um, we, we kind of, the, the way we did the robot is almost like the Voltron. Um, I watched, I just watched the first episode. So we did it as a five man band. That's how we came up and we did it. You know, each person had their own mech that would then combine into that super mech. Um, it's been a while since we since we actually put the setting together. So to be honest with you, I've done so many other things since then that I don't remember exactly 
the way that we did it. I just know the five-man band thing. So go check that out. Like I said, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, I'm not sure where it's being hosted right now. Uh, Savage Worlds GM Hangout is going through a rebranding right now. So I'll get that information from Jared and put that up there for you. Yeah, what's their new address going to be? Do you know? I don't remember. I think I remember him putting it afterwards. Yeah, I don't actually remember, but it, it's it's in it's in the process. And you said you mentioned something else um, out that's out there um, from Mecca. What was that? Oh yeah, okay. So it's it's definitely not the modern futuristic super um, uh, metal Mecca, but in it's worth noting in Iron Dynasty, which is kind of a feudal Japan with magic system uh, put out by Reality Blurs. A really cool setting. They he actually does a version of Mecca, which are more like you know bamboo and you know feudal Japan style Mecca, which is actually really kind of cool. So I know it's not super kaiju fun time um, or Pacific Rim. Um, it's not like that. You're they're not going to have. It's not not conceived as gigantic building sized robots, but um, it was a cool take on the Mecca mixed with you know, uh, historical Japan kind of setting. So it's worth checking out, you know, his rules on, 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 you know, on that. So, so Carlin, that was a pretty quick answer to your question, but I really think that if you go and take a look at that, um, you can, you can, if you don't use it as is, you can sure pull some, uh, some information and some good things from it. Sure. And the, even without, I think we can stretch this out a bit. I think the, if I were going to do it, um, just off the top of my head, the, obviously you, you want to give each player their mech, Probably as an edge, you know, kind of like as like an ally. And then you just change your the powers and stats, like your strength stat, agility stat, to that of the mech when you're piloting the mech. The, I don't know if I'd make you roll piloting every single round. Um, yeah, I know the way we did it, um, if, I, if I recall correctly, the way, the way that we did that when you were the super mecha is that we allowed cooperative roles uh, from the guys piloting the legs. Nice. Um, and, and things like that. And then it would basically add to that main pilot. So whoever's in the head doing the main piloting would get that benefit. Oh, good deal. I like that. And, um, I, you know, you, you can do, you might be able to do the, the combine the mecha as a dramatic task. Um, or you could just have it as a cooperative group role that's got, you need four successes out of five roles. Or, you know, maybe one success per, per appendage. So if you have five players, you need five successes on your roles. And, um... You know, between everybody, the uh, just to keep the other players who might be playing the legs um, or whatever um, interested in uh, and involved during the combat, I'd set your damages on on the on most weapons as having at least as many die as there are people and components. So if you have a five-person mech. Um, you know, your big blaster gun would be 5D damage. And that way, um, everybody who's, who's in the, um, in the team can roll one of the damage dice. So, you know, and then you add them all up. So that, that way, you know, you're not just having, you know, the people in the legs don't have to sit there and watch while right. the people with, yeah. you know, the and, and we, and, and again, going back to that, we also, we kind of in, in the, the kaiju one we did, we basically, did a bunch of tweaks to, well, not a bunch of tweaks, we did tweaks to the rules so that everybody can do something every round. Nice. So you don't have those guys sitting out. You know, I just pulled up that document. It's actually, it's a 28-page setting. Good deal. So uh, it's a pretty pretty good-sized setting. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, the information is out there if you should seek it. We'll all be sure to include a copy on the link to this episode. 
<laughs> so thanks, Carlin, for writing in. I'm sure you'll be a regular commenter, but he gets around. He's like on. He's on the the G plus. Oh. He's on. Oh yeah, he gets around. Gets around, does he? Yeah. All right. It, of the hill people must be code for something, but the uh, I mean I see him over on Reddit, so he's yeah he's quite yeah he comes he comes and watches the the GM hangout. Okay, so here's another uh, email we got in from DM Andre. DM Andre writes, "Hello, Savage Cast crew. I am a new Savage Worlds DM coming from D and D. Welcome, and recently running a lot of games on Roll Twenty. I tried Savage Worlds at Gen Con last year and loved the flexibility, and just recently ran a few ETU one sheets to get my feet wet before I run the Flood for Deadlands this fall. Excellent, running the Flood. Good I choice. love the I love the Flood. I've run it successfully." twice and i'm running it right now for a third group so yeah so you've, you've already got good taste so uh, we're not too worried about you he continues i need assistance in two areas one it seems like in the one shots i ran the modifiers were stacking up and it was taking too long to calculate if something succeeded am i doing this wrong or making this too difficult okay so yeah let's answer this question the Maybe you are taking doing it making it a little too difficult for yourself. The um, Savage Worlds is not GURPS. Um, there there aren't a, a lot of modifiers for every little thing. Um, and you and again, if you want to make it simplified, you don't have to do every single modifier. I think Savage Worlds is one of those systems where as long as you're employing the penalties or modifiers across the board to everybody equally, you'll be fine. You're not you're not going to break the system by forgetting, um, you know, one modifier, two or three. Right, like um, the lighting modifiers, I always forget those. Yeah, and and that's like the the in my initial response back to Andre, I mentioned that the in my games, the if everybody has the same penalties, if you know, uh, foe and friend alike. I often think you can just forget about them. You don't have to you know, put them in. So if you're if you're all in a dimly lit room, you don't have to give everybody a minus one. Um, you can, and you know it, it would it would model reality a little bit right. better. Right. If, if, you if you're playing rules as written from core, yeah, by all means. But if if you don't consider this, if, if everyone's at the same penalty, um, for the most part, you're just slowing success down. Um, you know, you're just going to get you know more failures than than you would normally, and those are just applied equally. It's it's going to balance out. So uh, if you've got a ton of penalties going on, sure you could um, just have lots of fail, fail, fail back and forth. Um, and that, but that might not be fun. And I know even in GURPS, which has a ton of penalties, there's a ton of modifiers. You know, there are systems where you can, um, uh, you you. To, to increase the number of successes in the same proportion. So instead of being, you know, fail 50% of the time, succeed 50% of the time, um, but it's going to take you forever, you know, you can move, you know, everybody can, you know, then succeed 75% of the time. Um, and as long as, it's, as long as it's balanced, the game moves along faster. So but that's yeah, one like, tip. Is like my feeling for this was not knowing what the issue was with, with the modifiers and what was stacking it made it hard for me to kind of think about if he was doing it wrong because stacking there's it's normally going to be no more than each modifier is either between a minus two and really if you want to go on a high end a minus six yeah um so we came up with let's look at something yeah, so we, let's we, look we, at stacking were, so if we, if we have a stacking scenario. issue right a, a stacking issue where it could get ridiculous and could take a while to figure it out so if you're running the deadlands um, and you've got uh, a guy who is unskilled riding a horse at night 
shooting one-handed a auto-fire machine gun type weapon at a distant target in his offhand. <laughs> the uh, about as complicated as we could figure um, you'd ever run across. Um, but in, you know, again, caveat in general, I think most knowing once you're a, a, a GM who's played the rules enough. Um, it might seem like that you're, you're running into a stacking problem because you're new to the system and you just don't remember them all. And so you, you, you're overemphasizing, you know, in your head, um, just how important they are, how hard they are to, to apply. Um, as you run the game a little bit more, though, that kind of goes away, I think. Um, but if you are, if you do run across the, the, the super stack situation, and in general, players as well will avoid, you know, doing actions if they take too many penalties, um, you know, once they figure out what... You know, yeah, I mean, most of the time, if you tell a player... I, I, I see this a lot, okay? You're going to have a multi-action penalty, and it's going to be minus two to all actions. Oh, then I'll just take the one action. And it's only a minus two. Yeah. Players are adverse to minuses on their when they have to roll their dice. They and really are. It's, to, to me, it's like, that's why you have bennies. You know, exactly. You, the dice can yeah. always explode. You can always get a second crack at it. So so, so I think in, in our example, we'll, we're going to run down, uh, kind of walk through our example and get to what's our final die roll. Uh, you're going to be kind of surprised, and, and uh, most players are just going to go, ah, there's no way. But exploding dice, exploding dice and bennies, why not give it a shot? Yeah. Even if you're at minuses like we're about to give you, crap, give it a shot, man. Go one die roll at least. So so yeah, so our 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 uh our character, Pecos Guillermo, um <laughs> steals a horse and a gun. And so the uh and he's so he's gonna try to do full auto at the targets following him in the distance, um, offhanded because he needs his uh, his 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 main hand to hold on to the horse. Um and we're going to call this Deadlands Hell on Earth. Yes. So it's it's Deadlands Hell on Earth because he's using a machine pistol. Yes, he got a machine pistol. So you can you, know, you can do a full auto with one hand. So first off, we'd make the guy make a riding roll. Um, and that would be at a minus two because he's also going to be shooting. So that that's the first thing we'd ask him to do. Um, if he failed that, you can, you know, it'd be fun. Um, you know, he fails his riding roll. You, GM gets to decide. Let's say he, he succeeds his riding roll. Okay, so he's unskilled at shooting. So you're going to start with a D4. Minus two, uh, right right off the bat. So we're at a minus two for being unskilled. Uh, being on a horse, we'll call that what? Unstable platform. So there's another because minus you're because you're, you're you've got you're bouncing. You know you're you're. It's definitely not stable being on the back of a horse. The um, darkness in Savage Worlds, darkness goes from a minus one for dim to a pitch black at a minus four. Uh, the th- interesting thing though is 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 dark, which is the medium. So minus one is dim, minus two is dark, pitch black's minus four. For dark, you can only see um, ten feet away or ten. Yeah, ten feet. Ten. So if you're using really, if you're using a, a map in minis and you're using a one square equals five feet or one square equals however many yards they use in Savage Worlds, I don't remember off the top of my head. You know, that's only two squares away. You're at you know anybody three squares away and it's dark. Yeah, so we'll call it dim. You're not seeing them. So uh, it's dim. Okay, so that's a minus one, and um, distance penalty. The uh, how far should we make it? Medium. So let's let's go. So we've got short, medium, and long. Short is zero. So no penalty for short. Uh, medium is minus uh, one. Minus two. Minus two, and long is minus four. So let's say he's at he's at medium range. Okay, so there's another minus two. So um, it's offhanded. That's okay. a minus two. He's gonna fire, and he's gonna fire full auto. 
He's just going to hit the trigger and fire full auto. So full auto gives you a minus two, initial minus two on the shooting roll, but you get to roll one shooting die for every rate of fire. So yep. it's three. So we will be rolling three of his D4s. Um, they're and all a minus two. single wild die. And one Important wild. to remember, on auto fire, three shooting die, it's always a single wild die. I see a lot of people get that wrong. I got it wrong when I first started doing Savage Worlds. I was letting them roll three shooting die and three wild die. And, and the penalty comes off the wild die as well. A lot of people forget that. Um, and since it's his second action, there's an additional minus two. So all told, it's a minus two from unskilled shooting. Minus two unstable platform. Minus one because it's dim. Uh, minus two for each of the die uh, because it's full auto. Minus two for the distance penalty. Mi minus two because it's offhand. And then we did we say the minus two for the multi-action? And minus two because it's the second action. So uh, add all those up and you get a D4 minus 13. And you roll, roll those dice three times and you're, you get your wild die D6 also minus 13. And what's your, what's your target number though? Four. Still a four. <laughs> Still a four. Your target number is a four. So you're rolling three D four plus a D six. D fours. What's the what's the what's the explosion chance on those? Twenty five percent. Twenty five percent. It's doable. Not likely, but in but doable. Yeah. So if you're in the right situation where you really need to shoot this person, don't have the first thought in your mind being, "Wow, no, there's no way. I'm just not going to try it. There's no way I could do it." Get that get that out of your out of your head. Give it a shot. You might not want to spend a Benny on it. A D4 minus 13. You might not want to spend a Benny on it. You might. But why not try it? Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, and you've got four chances to hit your 17, right, um, on one of those dice. So, you know, the, the fours might not have explode um, all the way to get you there. But, I mean, the D6 only needs to explode twice and you get a five on the, on the third roll. Yeah. That's, that's not undoable. That's not so uncommon. Um but that is kind of the, the most ridiculous we could think of uh, off the top of our heads um, of, of stacking. In general, um, if you tell people, hey, um, you know, uh, you know it, we, jumping on the horse and, and firing is going to get you minus two on both. You know, if you fail the agility check to jump on the horse, then I'm going to say, you know, uh, if you get a snake eyes, your foot gets caught in the stirrup and you're going to get dragged. Um, uh, if you fail, you just miss and you have to try again and the guys, you know, get closer to you. Your players might say, eh, I'm going to just try to get on the horse this round. They might want to take an aim maneuver the next round. I, that was as ridiculous as we could, we would come up with and it's still, you know, a big minus 13. Uh, in general, I don't, I think kind of like minus six is about the most I ever yeah. really remember. Yeah. Someone doing something in combat. I mean, the thing is, you have to think about it a little bit. It might, it comes up often it is like if you're using wild attack, you know, wild attack plus two to attack plus two to damage minus two your parry next time. Um, but you could, you know, let's say you have a joker. This is a, an area where, where I could see somebody have to take just a second. So the joker's plus two. So you have a joker, you wild attack. Yeah. You're well, right, then, then you're, then you're at a minus two, you, you know, to, uh, to attack, are you a plus two attack and damage minus two on your parry, but you're a plus two on the attack roll, so you're a plus four if you if you use the Joker. So there's there's times when you're going to have to do a little bit of math, but to me, I don't really think that there's ever going to be a time where it's going to be so overboard. Yeah, yeah. Our, our Pecos Guillermo here. I mean, he could have been. He could have had three wounds and two fatigue and been another minus five. Right. <laughs> yeah, but. In general, I, I think what you can do for players is 
offload the math onto your players. And all of the things that are applying to them that are going to apply for the entire combat, tell them to figure it in themselves. So for instance, if they have a level of fatigue, tell them you're at minus one this whole combat. Let them remember that. The, you know, obviously their, their die type and, and the penalty for being unskilled or skilled is going to be for the entire combat. With, you know, with our example, you know, the unskilled shooting minus two is going to be there the whole time. The unstable platform is going to be there the whole time. The, the dimness from the darkness, the dim is going to be there the whole time. The, those, you can say minus two, minus two, minus one, those are constant. If your character's smart enough, you're like, okay, well, uh, maybe it's better to switch hands um, to use your correct hand. So you get rid of that penalty, and then the, the distance. Yeah, the distance. You close. Yeah. Wait, 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 if wait, you can. close. Um, you know, use aim. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of times you can throw the bookkeeping off onto your players and and let them figure it out because they've got time while you're running the other players, the other you know the other cards during you know uh, dealing. Uh, they can figure out their own you know, their own penalties. Sure, there's a little bit of a trust there, but if you tell people, hey guys, you've got a dimness penalty for minus one. And you know, remember, unstable is minus two, full auto is minus two, distance is either minus two, minus four, or zero, whatever. And let them just figure it out. And you know, tell them at the beginning of combat, like, you know, figure out your two-hit number. And it should be pretty much the same unless they change it. And once you get used to the rules, it's not that bad. Overall, you're probably going to figure out that the modifiers aren't as daunting once you get more comfortable in the seat of running. So that'll just come with time. Yeah, and, and definitely... I don't know if you're making it too hard. I mean, if you're constantly, okay, every notice check's at a minus two, every, you know, climb check's at a minus two, and then they want to add something to it to, to get it back to zero, and, you're, and you've got that back and forth, maybe that is something that you want to look at. Maybe every notice check doesn't need to make a minus two. Maybe you don't even need to make notice checks. You know, just if it's something they're going to find, don't make it make a notice check. Um, so take some of those rolls out of it. Uh, if it's not really necessary to roll the dice... That's just another thing that just popped into my head. Don't make them roll it. There's nothing wrong with GM Fiat giving out, a, like, okay, so you want to jump on the horse, fire your gun, da da da, da. And instead of having to go through and, and count them all up, being like, you know, this is pretty difficult. I'm going to call it a minus seven or I'm going to call it a minus five. And as long as you're fair and apply it to both sides, you know, the minus seven or minus five or whatever is not going to damage your game by not getting to the perfectly correct exactly as written minus 12 or minus 13 that's a really that's a really good point yeah, yeah. just make it a flat yeah again if keep it fast keep it furious keep it fun especially the con game um and so yes if it's going to take you uh if you're going to risk making your players other players feel bored while you're doing math in your head or trying to figure out it right just say a minus four sounds fair a minus six sounds excessive uh there's really even beyond that most players are going to choose to do something different even though they don't always have to i think it's fun to do outlandish things but yeah don't worry too much because here's one thing coming from dnd i'll say this uh D in recent editions has gone out of its way to match the difficulty rating of encounters with the skill level of the group um, you know, they, they paid a lot of attention to try to... Yeah, CR, you know, challenge yeah. rating. Savage Worlds doesn't have that. So balance is not as big of a factor in Savage Worlds to always maintain. Um, there is not the expectation in Savage Worlds that if the GM is doing his job right, the challenge is going to be just difficult, you know, just difficult enough to present a major challenge 
you know, possibly 50% party injuries, maybe one near death uh, for a boss encounter. Um, you know, if it's per, you know, that, that doesn't exist in Savage Worlds. Um, if you want to, you want to have that, you can bring it. But in, in general, you can give your characters tasks that are too difficult and have them retrieve, uh, or you know, teach them the lesson the hard way. Or sometimes they roll over your 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 baddies. Um, so I wouldn't worry too much about getting all the pluses and minuses right as long as you're fair across the board with your players, um, just so they don't have a mutiny on you know. Well, gosh, I, he got a minus thirteen, and I, you know, uh, yeah, or he got a minus two, and I got a minus seven. That's not fair. Um, you know, as long as you can manage your your, your table well, uh, if 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 you want to keep your combat going fast enough, don't worry about all the minutia. If you if you forget the unstable platform penalty, it doesn't matter because in this scenario, both parties are riding, so it's common between both of them. So it's not going to matter. And I have a big tendency to forget lighting penalties, like I said, and then you know, if I forget them, and then I think about it. I just blow him off for the rest of that scene. Yeah. I'm not going to try to put him in after the fact. It's not like Chris said enough times. It's not It's not game-breaking. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think we got the first part of your uh, yeah. question down. Now, the second part, I don't know. The second part, I'm a little, uh, I don't know uh, exactly how I want to answer this. So uh, Yeah, this might, we, we might open this one up to our viewers and see what their thoughts are on this. Because it's a, it's a cool idea. And or listeners. Nice. Our, our listeners, yes. Viewers. Viewers. The, uh... Sorry, just had to get... Yeah, that's true. The um, God, if they were looking at us, it'd be scary. Like, well, he does call himself the Savage Stalker, Carlin. So, Carlin, are you watching this? Do you know what I'm wearing? Never mind. The, uh, so, the second part of Andre's post uh, question is, I am a big homebrew setting person and a big pro wrestling fan. Um, get in touch with Sean Patrick Fan, and he loves pro wrestling, so he can help you out with this question. Um, and Ross, they both love it. Um, with the flexibility of the system, I would really love to do a pro wrestling setting because it matches the bigger-than-life characters and the fast, furious, fun ideal of Savage Worlds. Very true. I was thinking of using wrestling moves as arcane powers with the PowerPoint system, but I wanted to get your idea of a good way to make wrestling moves or maybe even some setting rules. Sorry about the long email, but this system inspires me with so many ideas and none of my friends actually play. Keep up the great job. Okay, so my my first thing is I like where you're going with the idea of using some kind of arcane background with skill points, power points, um, whatever, um, for wrestling. In, in the sense that, as written, Savage Worlds would run wrestling as like simple fighting attacks. And you could do... Um, the written maneuvers like how to grapple and pin and, and, and rush and those kind of things. Um, so I review those just so you can see what, you know, as written, what the kind of more... Um, yeah, because there's know, a grapple, there's a push maneuver, there's, I mean, just straight fighting rolls. Yeah, so... The I, basics are pretty easy. Yeah, so I, I'd review those to see where you want to use those. But I like the idea of the theatricality and the the notion that your your big move, your signature move or your 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 power moves um would be in some ways more powerful than just doing damage. So they'd have uh, effects other than damage. Um and that they would be limited in the sense that you have a certain amount of power points to spend and you're going to be blowing them you know against another person with power points to spend. So yeah, you can uh, call them maneuver points. Maneuver points. That just popped into my brain. Nice. Maneuver points. Maneuver. So I like the idea. Um I think what Chris and I were talking about it, and I think our suggestion would be that the most fun you're going to have describing this is I would go through um, 
the arcane backgrounds, the listed powers, and see if any of them would actually map well um, with just reskinning them, changing the name, and perhaps changing some of the effects. Uh, but with trappings, tra this is going to be all about trappings, um, to see if they'd fit your setting. So, for instance, um, if you want a move that's going to go for against fatigue versus against um, damage, um, you might want to use something like there's a stun power. And a, um, it uses a, a, a template, um, but again, you could change that and say in your setting it'd be a single, uh, a single, single player, a single player. Or if you were doing like a double clothesline, you could do you know a touch attack. Um, so you know if you touch two guys, whatever. Um, <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! Hey, touch just, two guys. Just because they're wearing spandex and speedos doesn't mean it's you know. Anyways, the um, so you know, so the trapping there would be a fatigue attack or the one um, I thought of yeah. one pop pop popped into my brain was a pile driver. So the pile driver maneuver, you could reskin boost and lower trait. It would obviously be a lower trait and use that to knock down their vigor. You yeah. you get you get a success. I believe it's one die type. You get a, a raise, it's two die types. So that would be a good thing to simulate that because you get a raise on your pile driver. You're taking their vigor from a D, let's say a D8, starts at a D8. You could take it all the way down to a D4. That's going to lower their toughness oh, yeah. to make those other fighting rolls and, and grapples and things like that, um, you know, a little bit easier to do because you're lowering their, their toughness. So you're, that damage, however you decide to make damage work, is going to be a little bit easier because you just drove their cranium into the into the mat. Yeah, or if you're doing an attack like a, like a double ear smack with cupped, you know, palms, like that, that would be like a, a stun maneuver where you want to, you know, you want to you make them shaken um, on a rate on a, on a success they're shaken or on a success that, what's the, Success and raise with um, stuns. Uh, you, you might, you might like, you, you might actually lower their spirit. Um, so they, they'd be, be harder to recover from being shaken if you, you know, clocked them on the ears and their ears are ringing. Um, I was, I was thinking, a a drop kick off the top rope. You could almost do that as some sort of a blast yeah. power, but that has knockback as well, because you can do the damage, but then you could, you could knock it back and. Just you know, I don't know. Does that does that sound like something that would make sense? Oh, yeah. Does blast seem like the right power to reskin for that? I'm thinking of, of other things that might have knockback as a power that you could use for that, and I'm not thinking of anything. Well, and like I mean, obviously we're trying to Jimmy rig wrestling into the current power or, system. But I mean, for instance, if if you um. Like there's a difference between like whether blast and spray. Like one's a jet, one or a jet and blast. Where one is just you know six squares in front of you, right? And one's a, a, a template. I mean, you could you could do something where if you're gonna do the um, the yo-yo uh, kind of off the um, or slingshot off of the ropes, that could be a charge maneuver. Maybe mm -hmm. it would have you know. You know, within six, six six squares directly in front of you, you could you know um, you know go through guys. Um, but yeah, I, 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 the way I would the way I would do it is I'd look at all of the different um, on the character sheet all the different things you might want to affect, right? So like what kind of what, what kind of maneuver could hamper hamper their agility or their strength? Well, that could be like an, an arm bar, a leg or lock, a, a leg lock, or um, you know you could even permanently lower trait for agility or for strength. Figure on, four. Yeah. Re 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 rejigger one of the powers into a figure four leg lock power to yeah. knock down. Well, and that I mean, you can even use boost and lower trait for that one if you yeah, want yeah. to knock Bo down their agility. Yeah. Boost and lower trait, I think, for 
use boost and lower trait a lot, and then the trapping is what it's going after. Whether yeah. it's going after their vigor, whether it's going after their agility or their strength, um, that would mimic kind of how professional wrestling plays out as you kind of go back and forth, and you know the uh, you, you're wearing the other guy down. Um, you know, you, you you could do like a um, you know boost lower trait for a, a foot stamp that would lower their pace. So you know they, they they couldn't move as far because they're you know they become lame or you you, you apply the lame hindrance if you if you succeed on on that um, the uh, yeah I, I think you could go after going after their basic um, traits their agility their strength their vigor and their spirit and even smarts I mean I'm not sure how many smarts we're really making but you know if you if you look at that um, that's kind of how those play out and the um, and I think it'd be more interesting in the I, I think I think you want to avoid doing too much damage causing powers because you, you kind of want it to be a ballet or you're right I mean you kind of got the back and forth and it, it's, it's supposed to go several rounds uh, as kind of a production whereas if you if you put in superpower and you have damage where you could start rolling an extreme amount of die types you could be knocking out and killing people so how that. about this how about in a wrestling scenario that all maneuvers are considered non-lethal and only cause fatigue yeah i like that or how that rule and how about you switch it around how about you give people only two wounds and three fatigue and so if you actually cause physical damage whether you screw up a roll or something explodes and you're not doing you know non-lethal for whatever reason like whether you know let's say you you botch you you climb up to the, onto the post and you fall backwards um, instead of falling into the ring um, let's say you only have two wounds to work with, um, uh, and then you, you've got three fatigue to work with. So you kind of switch out those. And so if, if you get a third wound, you're rolling on the, the, the incapacitation chart. But you get an extra level of fatigue because we consider these guys as conditioned athletes who are willing to train to take up extra fatigue. Right. So only so two fatigue would maybe get you to that incapacitation a little too quick. Yeah. So having that one extra point, I don't know if it would add a, a ton of, of time to it, but even that one extra point would help out a little bit for that that flow of the match. I like that idea. I think that's I think that's a very interesting way to think about it. Uh, the other thing that I, I thought about is there is, and this is not Savage Worlds, but again, steal liberally. There is a hero system book. I have it uh, called uh, Lucha Libre. Oh, Bill Keys runs this. And right? yeah, and it is all wrestling. So go to that if if you can find a copy, a cheap PDF or a copy of it somewhere. Steal from that. Look at what do they call their maneuvers. What are their maneuvers? I don't know anything about Hero System, so I don't know how their stats and things like that work. But look at their stats and emulate the maneuvers out of that and, and read them and look and say, okay, this maneuver does X. How does X translate to Savage Worlds? And maybe you can get a lot of things that way. Yeah, and um, I one last point is I think you'd also can consider doing like a, a performance art skill that would um, give bonuses. So, for instance, if you are um, after a successful attack of some sort, if you can boost the you know if you do some if you take an action to taunt your opponent or to get the crowd involved. Yeah, you could call it play to the crowd. Yeah, play to the crowd. That that would give you a bonus on your next action. That you know you put your hands up and raise your fists or whatever it is to, to get the crowd involved. A little you know and you and make and you make sure that works either way. So if if you're a hero. You get the bonus if you're a heel. 
you still get the bonus for playing to the crowd. Yeah. Because if you can get the crowd riled up and, 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 you know, they hate you even more than they hated you before, that's a bonus to that next action. So it, it goes both for both heroes and heels. I, I kind of like that. That's an interesting idea. Yeah. So, Andre, get back to us after you, uh, you make a setting and a fortune of all these good ideas we're giving yeah, you. Yeah. If, if anyone else has any ideas, if they know of anyone who's done this, let us know. Uh, he did mention uh, on a reply to us that he went out and he did look for a savage wrestling setting, and he wasn't able to find anything. Um, I haven't gone out to look for that. So let us know. Cool. And um, our last email from local here, Chris Martinez, Ribbit D. Ribbit on the uh, RMS forum. So why don't you go ahead and read it for us? Yeah, it says, uh, first-time caller, long-time listener. Uh, I was wondering, given the massive number of Savage settings and source books from a variety of genres, what are your feelings on mixing them? Uh, if you're in favor of it, what are some settings you like to mix? If you're not in favor of it, why? Looking forward to hearing your perspective on the topic. Love the show. Chris Martinez. And we have to give a shout out to Chris. Uh, his first child, Adrian uh, Browning, was born um, just yesterday. Yeah. So, so congratulations to uh, some local savages. We have another savage. Yes. This is our, our long term, the long play strategy on growing membership numbers. Yes. Yeah. So uh, welcome to the savage community, uh, Adrian. Nice. So, um, yeah, I'd say uh, I'm not opposed to mixing um, settings. Uh, I think first off, we looked at some settings that you probably would be difficult to mix or you wouldn't really need to. Um, but the uh, my first idea was like Solomon Kane. Solomon Kane is kind of dripping with its own ethos, and pulling in another setting um, might not get you anywhere and might kind of you know take away from the the individual kind of story. Because in that setting, you uh, you know, there's this whole path of Kane and whether you're you know the the magic and then the flavor and the history is kind of very um, setting specific. So it'd be hard to really mix that with something else um, unless it was kind of like uh, maybe similar in tone, like maybe a pirate setting, maybe Carthador, um, you know, but even Carthador, the, 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 the worlds are so, are so different. But, you know, it's kind of swashbuckling kind of um post-Renaissance kind of stuff. So Deadlands, I think, is Deadlands it's so well supported. Yeah, it's there's, it's there's enough there. It's you know, it's its own entity. Yeah, and I mean there's like there's Wellstone City and there's some other stuff, but it's just it's almost like why why put in more work when there's just already so much published? It's you know that was my exact thought. Is is it doesn't need it? I don't know if why put in more work. I just yeah, I don't think it needs it. Yeah, it's got enough meat on the bone that you could run Deadlands for ten years and not get through everything. Just Deadlands by itself. Yes. So probably not going to you know, be worth your time. Um, I, I ran War of the Dead. War of the Dead's pretty scripted. Yeah. And Chris and I actually played a Neil Hyde's campaign. or still playing. Um, and yeah, I'd agree. I think the... I mean, I haven't, I haven't read it from the... Uh, but I played through half of it, maybe, from the player side. And yeah, it seems where it's so scripted and everything is... It's not, it's not really designed for sandbox. Although, I mean, uh, Chris can... Uh, Chris Martinez can attest that we have pushed Neil Hyde to the limit on, you know, not following the script, <laughs> not being good little players who are going to go along with everything. But, um, yeah, I mean, that would be hard to, to add anything else in. Um, you know, it wouldn't be worth your time because it's, th th that setting isn't, isn't conceived as much of a, here's a sandbox with a lot of zombie, new zombie rules that you can do with, you know, your other settings. That one's very much a, there is an overarching plot. There is a campaign. You know, there are milestones. And so throwing something else in wouldn't, 
it'd be a lot of work. It might not actually pay off. And I think the last one we thought that was probably not a good mixer, um, something like Interface Zero. Again, just because it's so book. so well defined, you know, it's already got the kitchen sink in it. So, um, you know, maybe you could add one or two little elements. But I mean, as far as mixing with something, you're probably not going to get you know a lot of bang for your buck. But there's we're a not, lot of- and we're not saying don't get us wrong. We're not saying that there's no way to do these or you shouldn't do this. This is just uh, thoughts from us of what we think just doesn't really need it. Yeah, I mean, if you want to do it. As Jib says, rock on, more power to you. Go out there and, uh, you know, mix Solomon Kane with uh, War of the Dead. <laughs> you know, <laughs> go go give it a shot and, uh, you know, you might find that it's uh, extremely rewarding and interesting. But uh, So here, here are a bunch that we decided that you could probably easily mix. Um, the uh, current favorite, uh, your wife's actually running this at our conventions, ETU. Uh, East Texas University is kind of the Buffy setting for Savage Worlds. Um, it throws in kind of light horror and weirdness. So if you want to ratchet up the horror with a little bit of the Cthulhu mythos, throw in something like Rum's Cthulhu. Yeah, and use their use their gritty sanity system. Yeah. Because I know uh, E.T. really doesn't have a sanity system. So that right there, if you really want a sanity system that's well thought out, well defined, Realms of Cthulhu is that because it's it's got levels of sanity. Yeah. And so you could actually take your characters, like you could do the sophomore Peace Corps summer trip to Pulau or Tuvalu or, you know, some exotic Pacific Island. Um, and that goes that goes south fast. And heck, even you could throw in like Camp Wikikini with that. I mean, you know, horror and young kids. And so those themes are all kind of mixed well. Another kind of trio that are similar in close enough in times where, you know, if you want to go a little earlier, a little later, um, Rippers um, is kind of going for the Victorian horror. Um, Weird War One uh, has got, you know, a little bit, you know, post-Victorian, but still kind of the horror. So if you're kind of playing between those two periods, you know, early century, um, those two kind of mix. Space 1889 and Rippers, if you want to go the other end of it. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was thinking about that. How would that work? But that really would work. You could, you could actually do that very easily. Because the space eighteen eighty nine is a lot of the one where they have like the the ether, right? And that's how the spaceships yeah. get are flying through space and things as well. I think they call it ether. But yeah, I think that with rippers would be yeah, I mean, kind yeah. of a cool mashup. Yeah, because you know you're just doubling down on the Victorian. But yeah, but your you're, rippers has nothing to do with outer space. So you know you bring that with space eighteen eighty nine. You bring that whole thing in and and maybe you know you go to. Uh, a distant planet that nobody's found and you have your guy who who has ripper tech and so he's ripping stuff out of these aliens yeah, so and been... throwing it into you yeah, and then you just... get back to earth now mm-hmm. you've got all this alien ripper tech in you so you're awesome but you're also a target for right. people to take it yeah they want to they want to rip it back yeah. out of you yeah. and maybe maybe the uh the rippers themselves aren't happy that you've got this otherworldly stuff in you and and you know so you have that issue where you have to deal with the higher ups oh yeah uh, of the of the ripper group i don't remember what it's called is it the explorer society uh, in rippers could be yeah so you know there i i think there's lots to uh to take from those the uh, another cool idea like um i like the the concept behind necessary evil where you flip the script you're you're playing traditionally bad characters but you you're forced to be in a you know to do good against an even worse so evil. E- evil evil so evil that you're you're good yeah the um so that that's kind of a fun concept right so you could take that concept and, and put it into other scenarios or if you want to take it setting as reading like um necessary evil meets kerberos club 
Right, so, Victorian, uh, Victorian superheroes. So yeah. now you're Victorian villains instead. Yeah, that's definitely something like Arkal could totally run that. Um, it'd be fun to play him. The, um, you know, Day After Ragnarok and Weird Wars 2, I mean, definitely go together. Um, oh, yeah, that, that'd, be a, that'd be an easy. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, to be honest with you, that one, it would be easy, but you wouldn't need a lot of work to do it because, I mean, Day After Ragnarok has already got all the military stuff in it. Yeah. So you wouldn't really have to, to take that from Weird Wars 2, but I'm sure there's creatures and, and things you could take out of Weird Wars 2 to put in there because Day After Ragnarok is uh, post-apocalyptic yeah. 1940s. Um, very, very cool setting. But, yeah, I think those would those would mesh together pretty well. The other obvious ones are, like, if you want to run Pulp, there is every reason in the world to smush together all the resources you can from, um, like, Thrilling Tales. Um, Adamant puts that out, and then Triple Ace does their Daring Tales of Adventure. You could just run through all their campaigns. I mean, they, they both put out you know, adventures, um, you know, little mini plot points, have have characters, pre, you know, pre-gen characters that are pretty nice. So, yeah, there's no reason at all not to just, you know, that wouldn't be setting difference, but it'd be company mashing where you're just, you know, you're taking products from two people who are writing about the same kind of very similar types of games. Yeah, it might be fun. Like, uh, uh, there's a cool new setting out, Streets of Bedlam, which is like Detroit um, style cop show. And like a new pulp uh, adventure, or not pulp, uh, mafios adventure, like forget about it. Uh, you could definitely do, you know, mix mafia into your Streets of Bedlam. Um, so those two are ones that, you know, be pretty easy to mix. Ooh, here's an idea. So if you were going to do like a, a a setting mix of like, let's say, children's stories, um, you could do uh, a slipstream kind of um, multiple world thing, or you could kind of uh, do a blender between like um, Sherwood, uh, Mark Casey put out Sherwood, Legends of Robin Hood, um, with something like Wonderland No More, um, and maybe the, the Battle for Oz, where you, you're kind of taking... That would be really kind of interesting, taking characters from Wonderland and putting them into Oz. Yeah. That could be really kind of, yeah, Robin Hood shows up in, in uh, Wonderland. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, I think, you know, you, you could definitely get some more mileage out of the um, the individual. I mean, all three of those have their own very set flavor, kind of like Solomon Kane. I mean, one is is the Oz world, one is, um, you know, Wonderland, uh, with, you know, post-popular kind of thing, and then the other one, you know, is, is straight-up Robin Hood. Um, but, yeah, if you wanted to blend those together, that might be fun it's, for Wicked Disney. Yeah, it's <laughs> sort of like, what, what's the what's the show on ABC? Hap, uh, the one, the Disney show, Happily, oh, uh, once, once, once Upon a Time. Yeah. Is it Once Upon a Time? Or once something. Or something where they have all the various different Disney properties Ever that, after? I don't know, that, that have yeah. come to come into, into modern times. Yeah. So, you know, you've got Snow White, all the Frozen, yeah. all the evil witches, the princess from Frozen. So, yeah, I mean... Take that as a as an example of how you could mash those three things together. Yeah, that'd be kind of fun. And I think really the 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 big one that you could do right now, the savage setting and and the the different genres that you would only need one setting for. Huh? I wonder where I'm going with this. How about savage riffs? Yeah. There you go. If you really want to just save yourself a lot of hassle and time and everything that we just talked about, throw it out the window. Run savage riffs and have a rift open to Necessary Evil. Have a rift open to Day After Ragnarok. Have a rift open to any of these we've talked about. And right there, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna have the the rift's characters going into that. But if you want to do the opposite way, do what Sean Patrick Fannin did with the Odd Squad. You can have characters from all of those different genres 
come to Rift's Earth. And get powered up. And get powered up. And then Rift's can open to all of these other ones. And that Deadlands character, who is now a Cyber Knight, can go to Streets of Bedlam. So on and so forth. So that right there is going to make things a lot easier. Yeah. And the um, and obviously, I mean, Rifts is currently, you're going to get all the models to that. Um, Suzerain, another, another similar kind of concept of setting, you know, multiple multiple settings, you know, blending together. Yeah, I kind of looked um, at Suzerain as kind of almost like a high-powered sliders, if anybody has seen the show Sliders. Yeah, uh, when it was good, the first couple seasons, not when it got bad towards the end. So I like John Reese Davies. I do too. Yeah. Indy. So uh, hopefully, uh, Chris, that uh, answered uh, your question. I know you're not going to have a lot of uh, gaming time coming up here for the next what 18 years. <laughs> <laughs> not to depress you or anything. But congratulations. But, but congratulations nonetheless. So I, I think that's. Uh, that's all of our emails for right now. Uh, again, thank you all for sending those in. We'd love to get more, so keep those coming. Uh, Savage Cat, or up, why do I keep saying that? Uproar at savagecast.com. You can email us there. Look us up on Google Plus, Facebook, Twitter. You can tweet us questions. Uh, ideas for show topics. We'd love to see those, uh, keep coming into us. Um, there's only so many topics that Chris and I are going to be able to come up with. I think our next few shows, uh, people are going to find really interesting, especially if you're a brand new person to Savage Worlds, a brand new GM. Uh, these next few shows are going to be right down your alley. Uh, and if you've been playing for a while, hopefully the next few shows will be something that you'll find useful. You'll get new ideas, uh, maybe learn some things that you might have forgotten or you might, you know, like myself be doing wrong so look forward to those uh we're going to call those what savage 101 or savage worlds in 10 minutes or less maybe. yeah i think is we're, we're still trying to come up with exactly what we want to call those um but it's going to be a, a good series of shows that you could point someone to who really wants uh to come into savage world so that's it for our email show hail savages. hail savages thanks again for listening and we'll talk to you again soon